Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to the book of Proverbs? Or you are also welcome today to use the bulletin on page 9. Uh, I've been saying the last few weeks it's, it's probably actually easier to use the bulletin uh, because we're doing this uh, series in Proverbs where we're going somewhat topically uh, and we're reading many different verses from different sections. So it's actually easier to follow along uh, in the bulletin there on page 9 as we sort of jump around place to place in the book of Proverbs. We said last week uh, that the speech that we use, our words and our language, is one of the most common, if not the most common theme addressed in the book of Proverbs. Probably money, sex, and speech are the three topics that Proverbs has the most to say about. We talked last week about speech, and it was kind of big picture, kind of overview, uh, and therefore you know, it doesn't do us a lot of good to, to have a big picture overview if we don't at some point get into some of the particulars. And so that's what we're going to do this week. We're going to look at some of the specifics, some of the wisdom that Proverbs gives us about our speech and the words that we use. Uh, because as we will see, the words that we use are meant to be, uh, it's one of the ways, shall we say, that we honor the Lord. It's one of the ways that we worship him by by bringing our speech into submission to the Lord and using it in the way that he tells us to do so. So I'm going to read this selection of of Proverbs on page 9 in the bulletin. Would you please join me in standing as we hear the reading of God's word together? The word of God from Proverbs, starting in 11.12. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says... I'm only joking. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the practical, down-to-earth, everyday guidance that we receive in the book of Proverbs. Lord, we pray that these uh, instructions, these pointers to wisdom, will not pass us by. But Lord, we pray that uh, by the power of your spirit, we may very humbly and submissively give our hearts to you and give our mouths to you. Lord, that we might glorify you in all that we do, including and most especially in the words that we say and the thoughts that we think. We pray that we can do this in order to honor our Savior, Jesus, uh, in order to give him glory and, and to be faithful to his word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So it's a a little surprising to me, and I don't know if it is to you, to think of this reality that speech and the words that we use are one of the most common themes in Proverbs. 
What I notice in my own heart is a tendency to downplay my worries. What I notice in Proverbs is a tendency to upplay them. Right? What I notice in myself is a tendency to think, you know, these are the, the words that I speak, this is the little areas of life, right? This is nitpicking. This doesn't matter as much. It's the deep things that matter. But I read Proverbs and I see God does not share my opinion of the importance of my words. Neither do many other people in the Bible think about how often this topic comes up, of the words that we use, our mouths, our, our speech. Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah finds himself there in the presence of God in his throne room, do you remember the first thing he says? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. His very first conviction of sin when he was in the presence of God was about his words. Paul, in Romans chapter 3, when he's proving his point that all men are condemned under sin, that everyone is a sinner, here's how he goes when he wants to make his point. He says his first four points are about speech. He says their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Consider his point proven. Right? We have to admit at this point that yes, we are sinners and it can be proven simply by thinking or listening to the words that we speak. James does the same thing. James chapter 3, he wants to prove his statement that we all stumble in many ways. And he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. He has only one thing to say to prove his point and it's to say, just, just listen to yourself. We all stumble with our words. David, Psalm 141, here is this psalm of, of devotion and he's offering himself freely and sincerely to the Lord. He prays this. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. He knows he can't live a life that is fully and sincerely pleasing to the Lord while at the same time his mouth is spewing displeasing words. Even Jesus himself displays perhaps the most convictingly the seriousness of our speech in Matthew 12 when he says very simply, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. They're connected, right? It, it doesn't do for us to say, you know, the words I say don't matter. It's about what's in my heart. Jesus says, agreed, which is why your words matter, right? Because the words you speak are the overflow of your heart. They are an index of what's in your heart. Right? That's how we know what's in our heart. It, it simply comes out our mouths. So we can't separate these two. Our words have an influence on our hearts, and our hearts determine our words. And so, so last week was this big picture, and one of the points we made was our words are far more powerful than we give them credit for. They are powerful to do good and evil. Right? We can, can do more, we can accomplish more, than we typically think by speaking gracious, kind, and honest words. But we can also destroy and hurt people more painfully than we usually think we can with foolish words. And so we gave that overview, but, but how do we do that? If they are that powerful, we should be asking, give me more specifics. Right? Help me know the details, you know, when the rubber really meets the road, how do we use our words to honor the Lord and to love others? Because that's the goal, right? 
you know, to, to love mercy, to, to do justly, to walk humbly with our God, to, to love God and love neighbor. That's the goal. And it will be in very large part through our words that we accomplish those things. And so I want to do this. I want to talk about how do we use our words to love and serve others. And we'll talk about characteristics of our foolish speech and our wise speech. Uh, but then also we will look at um, how do we grow? How do we grow in, in wise speech, in wisdom? How, how do we begin to change? Uh, so first there will be the conviction that we're not wise enough in our speech and then help as to how do we make progress in becoming wise. But first, here's how we use our words to love and to serve others. And, and I think one of the main points that Proverbs makes, and this is where Proverbs really makes its contribution to the whole conversation about language, is that our speech is a way that we love people. It's supposed to be, at least. It, sometimes it's a way that we hate people. But it can be a way that we love them. The way that we speak, the words that we use, can make or break our community. They can make or break our community. And we see this throughout Proverbs, that the emphasis of speech, and, and perhaps you've noticed this even in our readings, is that it's not just about me learning wisdom for myself as my own kind of purely individualistic pursuit of, of personal holiness. Uh, but rather, wisdom is learning in the context of the community, the covenant community, the people of God. And the way that we speak is often talked about in Proverbs by its effects, that it, it builds others up or it tears others down. Right? The, a lying tongue hates its neighbor. Right? We, we mentioned that last week, and we see it again this week, that it's not simply that he says the lying tongue uh, you know, dishonors God. That's true also. But he points out these horizontal effects, that it's part of how we love or hate our neighbor. And Proverbs pictures this wise person as just a joy to live next to, right? to, to be in fellowship with, uh, because they are a blessing to their neighbors. They build up the community through wise speech. Whereas the fool, nobody wants the fool for a neighbor. Right? He's a disgrace not only to himself, but, but they're a burden on the community. They, they weigh the whole community down. Uh, their words are hurtful. Right? Their, their sluggardliness is a burden to everybody. Their wicked ways are, are bad for themselves and a disgrace. And that's what our words are like. Our words have an effect on others. One preacher has used the, the image of a, a sweater. Right? And he says a community, particularly the covenant community like the church, is like a sweater. And a sweater is made out of many different strands of, of yarn or, or thread. But they're all interwoven together. They're connected. They're, they're with one another so closely that everyone knows this. If you start to pull on one thread, what happens? The whole thing is, is either unraveled or it kind of skews out of shape. The entire sweater can be ruined by simply pulling on one thread. Christian community is like that as well. Here we are, we are many, yet in Christ we are one. Because in Christ, God knits our lives and our hearts together to form us, not merely as individuals, but he's forming us into the communities, forming us into his people, plural. That's what happens living in Christian community and and therefore, when one person is acting foolishly or is rash with their words, it's not just hurting that person. That's something that has the power then to skew the entire community out of shape, to unravel. There's this communal aspect that, that our sin is destructive of. And so foolish words and wise words, they, they 
tear down a community or they build up a community. Here's a few characteristics of foolish speech. Uh, first, look at 1628. 1628, five down, I believe. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Now, here's the point exactly because there's a lot of Proverbs and a lot of scripture really about uh, the goodness of being honest, the necessity of being honest, as well as the badness of lying. Uh, right, 12.22, uh, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Uh, that's how we often think of lying, right? It's just in terms of the ethical standard. Lying is sin. Being honest is, is good. Uh, but there's also this whole section of Proverbs that's talking about these things in terms of the effect that they have on others. Right? That, that lying is hurtful to others. Uh, one, pro- one thing I think Proverbs does so well is to open our eyes to see the damage we do with our words, as well as to show the beauty and the wisdom of loving people with kind and honest words. Right? If our goal is to love others, we can't possibly do that uh, if we're gossiping about them, if we're lying to them, because a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Same thing in 17.9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Right? Why is there this, close, this, this deep concern in Proverbs that we not separate close friends? Right? Because to do that is just driving this wedge into the community. And we're doing that through our sins of our speech. It is whispering. That, that's gossip. Right? When we whisper about others... We are tearing apart the community that God is putting together. Or look at 26, 28, there at the, the very bottom. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Now, I like this one because this one, like so many in Proverbs, it just pulls no punches. Right? It's just as clear as can be. When we lie, we are actively hating somebody. It won't do for us to say, well, you know, I'm just trying to to love them and so I thought the best way would be to kind of tell a little lie about that to protect them. Proverbs doesn't listen to that, does it? It says a lying tongue hates its victim. Because again, how do we use our words to, to form and to nurture and to protect the kind of community where people are loved and cared for and where God is honored? There was this article that I read, and it was a while ago now, but it was an article in, in Slate, so you kind of know what it's going to be like. But it was all about the power of our words. And I thought, well, this is true in so far as it goes. Words are powerful. Uh, what it said was, our words are powerful to form the kind of relationships we want. And so it's giving examples like, well, if you want to hold somebody at arm's length and not draw them in, then simply, you know, you can use your words to accomplish that, right? You can lie to them, or you can not open up to them. You can just hold them. Through your words, you can, you can refuse a relationship. Or you can draw people in through you know, telling people the truth about matters that are close to you. You sort of open up and you share with them. It says you have the power to form and to shape the relationships with people in your life through the way that you talk to them. And that's true as far as it goes. What it didn't say is what Proverbs says. It right? is that, therefore... We are to pursue honesty. We are to pursue uh, not gossiping, right? Because those are things that are forming relationships for good or for bad, whether we like it or not, 
Relationships are being shaped by the way that we use our words. The end of that verse, right, 26, 28, a flattering mouth works ruin. A flattering mouth works ruin. Isn't that interesting? The whole point of flattery is to work good. Isn't it? Right, when we're flattering somebody or they're flattering us, we know what we're doing, right? We're kind of going over and above. We're being, you know, complimenting a little bit more than uh, we ordinarily would because we're trying to accomplish some end, right? We want them to be on our side or we want them to give us a raise or we want something from them. So we're flattering them, right? We're using it for a purpose. And Proverbs says a flattering mouth works ruin. There's your purpose. That's what's being accomplished. So it's interesting to me to read a verse like that and just to ask a very simple question. Is that true? Does a flattering mouth work ruin? Is that your experience? Does flattery fail? Well, I I think we need to ask the question like this. Does a flattering mouth, uh, does it work for what? If your goal is to build your own kingdom, then yeah, flattery might help. If your goal is is to submit yourself to Jesus and to build his kingdom, flattery does not help. It depends on the the ends that we're pursuing. If your goal is to love your neighbors and to serve them and to draw near to them, then flattery works ruin. It's, It's always built on insincerity. It's built on pragmatism, not love. So yes, flattery works ruin for the believer who's trying to live in community and love with their neighbor and with those who are around them. Look at 26, 18, and 19, the second one from the bottom. A potent one for me. It says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Right? Now, I enjoy a good joke as much as the next guy. And so it's a potent one to listen to. Uh, but we all know it's one thing to play a kind and, and gentle, well-thought-out prank on somebody, and another thing altogether to simply take a swipe at somebody and then to try to play it down by saying, I was just joking, right? We've all, we've all been on the receiving end of that, and you know the person wasn't really joking. They were saying something they wanted you to hear, but they just didn't want you to get quite as mad at them at for it, so they try to play it down at the end. How often do we do this? Try to take the sting out of our words simply by claiming that we were joking when we know perhaps the reality is we weren't joking at all. But notice what Proverbs says. Again, we need to listen to what it says. It's not just saying that a a heartless joke is mean. It says it's like slinging firebrands, arrows, and death. Because what does that accomplish? It's saying that that to use our words carelessly like this is actually to destroy our community, right? You're slinging death at your neighbor. You can't sling death and then say you're joking. Proverbs is asking us to think more deeply and more lovingly about the effects that our words have on those who are around us. The reality is oftentimes we are thinking about that, but then we're taking our words and we're using them for our purposes And Proverbs says, consider that you are hating others. You are slinging death at them when we speak so very carelessly. Is it any wonder that David would pray to the Lord, O Lord, set a guard over my mouth? 
set a guard over my mouth because who among us does not feel at least some conviction in thinking about our language and our words that we know we have hurt others with our words. That we know we've done this. That Proverbs are a perfect description of us. And we can't help but think of how many arrows and firebrands we have slung at others. How many of those sword thrusts have come from our own mouths. Pain and hurt and damage that is very difficult to undo, that, that leaves scars, that wounds. I know I have hurt people through my careless words, and I know that we need the Lord himself to teach us how do we reign in our tongues. James is, is not exaggerating when he says, think of how great a forest can be set ablaze by such a small fire. We know that well in Southern California. And he says, that is the impact of your tongue. That is the damage that it can do. So let's look at three characteristics of wise speech, and then we'll talk about how do we get there, how do we grow in wisdom. Here's three characteristics of of what Proverbs describes as very wise speech. First, wise speech is silent. Proverbs 10.19, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. I, I memorized that when I was in college, in part because you know me, I'm kind of shy. I, I don't, I'm an introvert. I don't have a lot of words to speak. Most days on Sundays, like when I'm done here, that's all my words for the day. No more, I'm just, I'm out. And so I memorized this because I was like, well, this, this fits. I like that. You know, he, you know, when words are many, sin is not absent. Well, I rarely have many words anyway. Sometimes I do, though, and it doesn't always mean that sin is absent for me. But seriously, Proverbs gives this to us as a reason. It gives this to us as a a characteristic of wise speech, that oftentimes wise speech is known by the fact that it's not talking. How many of you, your mother used to say to you, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all? A little bit of wisdom in that isn't there. It's actually somewhat similar to some of these proverbs. Much of our speech is probably pretty ill-considered, isn't it? Many of our words are probably uh, would do better not to have ever been spoken, wouldn't they? When words are many, we're in danger of easily going astray. So wise speech is silent. Second, wise speech is honest. Twenty-four, twenty-six. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips another good, memorable proverb. But what does it mean? Again, we see in this proverb it's telling us more than simply honest speech is good or morally upright. That's true, but it's telling us how it feels. It's telling us the character of it. And it's saying that, that, I mean, kissing is an act of affection. It's an act of love. And part of Proverbs' whole thesis here is that wise speech is an act of loving your neighbor. Right? And we can't really love our neighbor well unless we are considering our words and, and using gracious speech with them. And so it, it's telling us this truth, that, that uh, to tell the truth is an act of love. Right? It's part of how we serve others and respect them and are kind to them. We tell them the truth. To lie to someone is to hate them. So wise speech, it's silent, it's honest, but 1624, it's gracious. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, health to the body. 
the gracious words are words that give grace to those who hear, that build them up, encourage them, and edify them, that can even point them towards Christ. And when our words live up to that description, it's, it's sweetness, it's health. It's the highest calling for our speech to be life-giving, to be God-glorifying, to be described as gracious. I, you know, I can't help but think that, that in this culture, that society that, that they lived in 3,000 years ago, in an agrarian society, uh, they didn't have refrigerators or freezers filled with ice cream and, and other delectable treats. I imagine sweetness was probably pretty hard to come by. Right? They didn't have dessert after every meal. And so it was one of the finest things when you, when you found it. Right? To actually have a honeycomb and to enjoy the sweetness that was there was one of the delicacies of life. And I think it's saying that that is like a description of what our wise, godly, kind, loving, honest, gracious words are like. And it's the kind of sweetness and joy that comes from an act of sincere love for one another. That comes from words that are meant to give grace and to build up and to encourage and to edify and to, to come around someone to support them in love. Saying, that's a high calling for our words, but those are gracious, loving words. Now, how do, we, how, do we, how do we speak words like that? How do we get there? How do we grow in this? I think if you're not, like me, feeling very convicted at this point, then maybe you just haven't been listening. I don't know. There's enough in Proverbs about foolish words that it casts in a wide enough net to, to catch all of us. But the goal of Proverbs is not simply to beat us up and show us how foolish we are and leave us in the ditch. The goal of all of this in Proverbs is to begin shaping us into the kind of people whose speech is being transformed into the image of Christ, who are learning how to give our words to the Lord totally, freely, and unreservedly, who are learning how to love the Lord with our speech and to love others around us with our words. And so how do we do that? How do we become those kind of people? I think we need to go back to the beginning of Proverbs because it tells us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning. That's where you start on the road towards wisdom, is you start with the fear of the Lord. Think about what it doesn't say. It doesn't say knowledge is the fear of the or knowledge is the beginning of wisdom. Right? If knowledge were the beginning of wisdom, then all we would need to do on any given Sunday is for me to impart more information to you. Right, me to teach you things you hadn't known before. Uh, me to educate, to tell you what kind of words are good and what kind are bad. And you would say, oh, I didn't know that before. And now that I do, I will live it out perfectly. But that's not the problem, is it? The problem for us is not that we don't know that lying is wrong, that we don't know that gossip is wrong. We know these things. Knowledge is not our problem. Uh, it's also, you know, it doesn't say in the beginning of Proverbs, it doesn't say... Personal discipline is the beginning of wisdom. Right? If it said personal discipline is the beginning of wisdom, uh, then the path to living a holy and a wise life and honoring, our Christ, and honoring Christ would, would simply be through having enough discipline to constantly keep my, my sinful tongue in check, right? or perhaps having enough seriousness about this matter of speech that, that I really think about this and I'm disciplined about it. Right? Because, well, again, this assumes we know what the right thing to do is, and in fact, we want to. 
We just don't have the discipline to be consistent with it all. You know, we're just lazy. That's our problem. We're quick to indulge. We say a few wayward things, but that's not what Proverbs says. It doesn't point us to knowledge. It doesn't point us to personal discipline. What does it say? Is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? It means that in order for us to begin to grow in wisdom in our speech, to actually make progress, we don't just need more knowledge. We don't just need more discipline. What we need is rather to spend more time walking in the fear of the Lord. The path to the transformation of our character, the path to living in Christ-likeness, or, or what Proverbs simply calls wisdom, is found in walking in the fear of the Lord. Now, we've talked about this before. Let me say it again, that what the fear of the Lord is, because uh, we could think of it this way. There's two types of fear. One is a servile fear. It's the fear of a servant towards a very harsh master. And that servant knows the punishment that comes for them if they do things wrong. And so they fear their master. And they fear to draw near to them. They fear to have a relationship with them because they fear the punishment. And that's the only thing. But there's a second kind of fear, and it's what Sinclair Ferguson calls filial fear, right? the, the fear of a son. Um, I, I think we can easily call it gospel fear. And he says it's that indefinable mixture of reverence, fear, pleasure, joy, and awe which fills our hearts when we realize who God is and what he has done for us. Gospel fear. Gospel fear is the fear of the Lord that you only have in full knowledge of the gospel, of what, how God has loved you even when you were a sinner. And he sent his own son, Jesus, to stand in your place and to take in his own body the wrath of God that you deserve to receive in your own body because it's your sin. But Jesus took it at the cross. And therefore, what God gives to you is life and grace and peace and wholeness and health. And he draws you in and he adopts you into his family and it says, from now on, forever and ever, you shall be my sons and my daughters. Right? And I will love you as your father. And I will be with you forever and wipe away every tear from your eyes. And, and death and mourning and tears will be no more. Right? When we know this reality, what does that do? What does that do to your heart, first of all? Because that is, that is what it is to walk in the, in the fear of the Lord. It's a fear that draws you to God, not away from him. It's a fear that invites you into a relationship, not closes that door off. As we've been saying again from, from Romans 2, where Paul says it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Right? So how do we make progress? It's through knowing his kindness and his mercy and his grace towards us. Right? He says in Titus, when the grace of God appears, it, well, he says the grace of God has appeared, teaching us to say no to ungodliness. So if our question is, how do we grow in our, our ability to say no to ungodliness, we simply receive more and more of the grace of God towards us in Christ. This is, this is gospel fear. And when your heart then is in this position where at the very same time it's, it's properly convicted about its own sin, right? it has no uh, blindness towards that, it simply knows its own sin and it's convicted about the foolishness and you feel this godly sorrow but at the very same time it knows the mercy of Christ, then, then that whole complex of emotions you feel of, of sadness and sorrow and 
fear and joy and delight and pleasure is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. That and that alone, I believe, is the pathway to the transformation of our words, to freely offering them to the Lord and saying, Lord, I I give you my mouth, set a guard over it that I may not hurt others with it, but that I may use words that are pleasing, pleasing to the Lord. And again, I want to I'll let Charles Bridges have the last word. He's my my favorite Proverbs commentator. He says this. Are not then the sins of the tongue an overwhelming manifestation of the long-suffering of God? When I think of its power, even for eternal death or life, shall I not guard it more than the pupil of my eye? Shall I not cry to my God that he would restrain it? Yea, even cry more earnestly that he would consecrate it that it might be my glory, not my shame, my organ of praise, my exercise of joy. Right? When when he thinks on the power of the tongue, the sins of the tongue, and yet the mercy of Christ, he says, how can I not cry out to the Lord that he would uh, restrain it and even consecrate it? Consecrate it to speak good, holy, loving words to the Lord and to others. Let's pray together to the Lord. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're oftentimes convicted by your word and it's good for us to have the eyes of our hearts open to to know our sinfulness and yet at the same time to see our Savior. And therefore to be humbled in ourselves and to reach out to Christ, to praise him, to delight in him, and to put our faith in him and in him alone. Lord, we pray that these words of your word will, will take root in our hearts bearing fruit even 30, 60, and 100 times that which has been sown, fruit that abounds to the glory of Christ and the good of our neighbors. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.